This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. And I took an EMT class at a volunteer firehouse uh, deep in the Catskill Mountains. So it was actually Woodstock, New York's uh, Engine Company 5. And uh, I realized pretty early on that I really liked the medicine. The question to that answer and more starting right now. Hey, this is Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe. And today, we're going to talk about mobilized rescue systems with the Director of Training and Education, Seth Goldstein. And so their mission is to empower bystanders to take to save lives by equipping them with the resources necessary to respond to medical emergencies. So basically, what their goal is is to have just-in-time training and supplies ready to go when somebody has a medical emergency, kind of like a public access AED program. But instead of just the AEDs, they want to do the uh, medical stuff as well, such as blood stopping and whatnot. And in today's uh, climate with things like the Boston bombing, the Pulse nightclub, uh, to think about those type of events, and just you know, regular standard airplane landing in the middle of the 405 during uh, a traffic <laughs> instead of landing on the airport, uh, airport, if you guys remember seeing this one. So anyway, this is what we're talking about. So anyway, happy 4th of July, everybody. I know this is the uh, the day, or a couple days after 4th of July. I hope that your weekend was uh, outstanding, and mine was, and uh, let's get into it. Hey, Seth, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, emergency management or, or emergency services, and a little bit about... Uh, what you're doing with your product. Sure. Uh, so uh, my journey in a, a emergency medical services started back in the late 90s. Um, I was uh, I have a bachelor's degree in environmental science, and I was kind of on a path to work for a company like Outward Bound or National Outdoor Leadership School uh, doing backcountry, uh, long backcountry trips with, uh, with clients and students. And to do that, I needed to get my EMT basic. They all required it. That was the minimum level of uh, training that they wanted to send you out there with. And I took an EMT class at a volunteer firehouse uh, deep in the Catskill Mountains. So it was actually Woodstock, New York's uh, Engine Company 5. And uh, I realized pretty early on that I really liked the medicine. I really liked the the science of it. Uh, So I ended up kind of changing directions, uh, started working as an EMT for a commercial ambulance service, which uh, I'm sure is no different in New York than it is in most other places around the country. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's honest work, but it's hard work and it certainly doesn't pay an awful lot. Uh, so, and then I, I realized that, you know, I thought I could do more. And so after doing that for a, a year or so, I went to paramedic school, uh, became a paramedic in 2000, uh, and, uh, continued to work as a paramedic in, in New York, had an opportunity to move out to the Denver, Colorado area with my uh, then fiance and worked for Denver Paramedics for about a year, uh, which was just fantastic. What an eye-opening experience. Um, I thought that I kind of had my stuff wired tight, having been a medic for you know three or four years at that point here in New York. And uh, I was I had a rude awakening. Um, it's a very progressive system in Denver. The standards are unbelievably high. And uh, uh, it, it was a tough adjustment. 
you know, life circumstances brought me back to New York with my wife uh, and, you know, bought a house, started settling down, continued working as a paramedic, kind of worked up through the ranks of a commercial ambulance service, got into management, got into quality improvement, and uh, eventually got into education full time. I kind of went full circle and started uh, running paramedic training programs at the community college level, which is really where all those all the medic programs in New York State right now are affiliated with colleges. Right. Mostly right. community colleges, two-year schools. Uh, so I did that for a while. And uh, while I was doing that, like so many good stories, I knew a guy. And uh, you know, it was a former colleague, a former uh, kind of mentor of mine roped me into uh, starting some work with New York State Homeland Security, which was at that time – uh, really starting to build up its uh, its curriculum, its repertoire, and that was in 2007, 2008, and the domestic homeland security uh, community was still kind of trying to figure out what to do about the Mumbai attack that happened in 2006 in India. Uh, it was a little bit of a game changer. Uh, it was not weapons of mass destruction, which we had spent so many years trying to prep for. It was very simple. It was very orchestrated and it was very well executed. And we knew that we didn't have a great solution for 10 guys with small arms making an amphibious landing, which could happen anywhere. And so uh, we started to develop curriculum in New York State to help uh, kind of manage that. And uh, we've had some pretty good success. Uh, we, we have a, a fantastic class that we run through our Homeland Security Training Center in New York uh, called Advanced Active Shooter Tactics. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, it brings multidisciplinary forces. So we have EMS, fire representatives, and law enforcement, street-level folks, not super high-speed tactical SWATI guys. And we teach them some tactics to manage multiple shooter, shooter scenarios. Uh, and there's corollaries. They can bring that back, and it works for, for single-shooter scenarios and, and other problems. But um, a lot of it comes down to communication. A lot of it comes down to uh, uh, being able to integrate with with uh, both other agencies within your discipline and agencies from other disciplines in the emergency response community. Uh, the reason that the way that that connects to what I'm doing now is that the design team for mobilized rescue systems is basically a bunch of guys that we've been teaching TECC and active shooter response with for Homeland Security. Uh, it, uh, we, we were approached by a group of entrepreneurs out of the Rochester, New York area, uh, based essentially on our experience in, in, in teaching and, and providing that kind of uh, <coughs> curriculum and care. And they had this idea that they were going to make a, a kit, a, a first aid kit, a box, a unit. The name is kind of <laughs> – we settled on kit, but it's been called a bunch of different things over the, over the few years we've been designing it. And they wanted something to be available in that type of event uh, for the bystanders, the lay rescuers present – to be able to do something. And uh, we thought it was a good idea. We we ran with that. Uh, I think that the the mission for the mobilized product line has has expanded a little bit. Like we're not solely focused on active shooter events anymore because although they're horrific and they do require some timely care uh, to get the best outcomes for the victims, uh, there's still a small fraction of, of the emergencies that occur daily, weekly, monthly. And right, so right. once we kind of realized the, uh, what we could do using the technology and the available over-the-counter uh, medical uh, inventory, 
we said, well, if we're going to do it for bleeding control and we're going to do it for airway management, why can't we do it for seizures? Why can't we do it for allergic reactions? Why can't we do it for chest pain, which are things that happen every day all over the place? Uh, and that, uh, you know, that, that question we were able to answer and design a product that it's going to work no matter what the emergency is. Right. You know, it's funny. You see, you know, all the uh, little first aid kits, uh, you know, the university where I teach, um, you know, we have like these little, well, not little, they're pretty good size uh, metal boxes that have first aid mm-hmm. on them. And you, and you open them up and there's some okay stuff in there. But for the most part, it's like band-aids and stuff like that. And it's really useless if it comes into a, uh, a major uh, a major issue that, that happens. So, you know, I can really understand the, the uptick, or the upgrade, I would say, in the uh, in this kit that you guys have created. So back in the day when we first went to the public access AED, I know there's a lot of pushback by paramedics and, and whatnot about saying, no, people don't understand how to use them and they're going to be difficult. And they were able to really make those things simple. And I, I when I teach, I talk about this little eight-year-old girl who in Chicago her airport saved her grandfather's life, life uh, basically because there was a public access AED there. She was there for her sister's uh, Girl Scout training, and um, uh, just kind of through osmosis learned how to use it. So I always say if an eight-year-old girl can use it, anybody can use it. And I think this kit that you guys have created is along the same line. If, if, uh, if I could use it, anybody can use it. You know, ironically, I have I have three boys. Uh, right now they're 11, and I have nine-year-old twins. During the design process, though, my twins were eight, and they were my test subjects for a lot of the instructions that we came up with. Uh, because we needed it to be that simple to use. A lot of our clients get some onboarding training. You know, they, they want to know a little bit more about it if they're going to put it in their work environment. But we designed it from day one with the understanding that it could be a public access uh, device. And so all of the language is, is plain English. There's no medical jargon in it. The questions are very simple, usually yes or no. And the way we design the algorithm, uh, you know, lately I've been describing it kind of like a choose your own adventure novel that we used, I used to read when I was a kid. So on the first screen of the app, the possibilities are endless. It, it's, it thinks that it's dealing with a huge emergency with lots of victims and everybody's trying to die, which it, it can do that. It'll help you triage and prioritize true life threats versus, uh, you know, lesser emergencies. But as you offer more information and answer the questions in this real kind of simple yes and no uh, format, usually about five or six questions in, it knows what you're dealing with. Uh, And it's narrowed down the the scope of the emergency down to a point where it can start giving you some instructions. And usually, just like an EMT or a paramedic, we start by real basic stuff. We narrow it down. We get them a little comfortable so that we position them so that we can uh, provide some interventions. And then... You know, it, it provides a set of interventions that are well within the range of safety for an untrained rescuer. You know, we, we drew that line well on the side of, of safety. Uh, mm. But you're still able to provide some some fairly intricate care. You know, I was doing a demo with one of the guys that I work with in the firehouse last night. And, uh, you know, he went through an amputated limb scenario. And, you know, it it, it, underst- it walks you through the process of tourniqueting the, the, the limb and using one of the biohazard bags and the ice pack to put the, either the, the pieces that have come off, you know, package them the same way that we would in an ambulance, essentially. Um, oh, it's funny. I had actually, forgo- 
I'd forgotten about that part of the algorithm. It's just not someplace that we go often in demonstrations. And I'm sitting there going, wow, you know, that that's pretty sophisticated. Um, yeah, I got cough. <clears throat> so do you envision this um, product being like an AED or a fire extinguisher uh, on, on on uh, you know on walls inside of buildings is this something that is that the, the design of this kit and is this kind of what you guys want to kind of push for? Um, you know it's funny I'm not a I, I don't fancy myself a salesman you know I like I was uh, I helped design the app um, and and helped make some of the early decisions on the product uh, so I haven't gotten my head too wrapped around where it could go like I was so focused on the mission of a, being creating it so that it could accomplish. The, the, the goal of medical care, looking at it back at it now. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I think it could go anywhere. I mean, if, if you have a demonstrated need for an AED in your location, then some risk manager has said, look, there's the, the possibility exists that somebody could experience a medical emergency here. And we want to do some, be able to do something about that in the 10 or 15 minutes before the ambulance gets here. Uh, and I don't, I think the same principle, the same logic should apply to all medical emergencies. Yeah, uh, you know, AEDs yeah. are, are fantastic if you're in VFib or VTAC. <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> they're not all that helpful. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you think about the, the host of other emergencies that are out there uh, that people experience every day, uh, you know, the, our products are designed to, to walk that willing bystander through the process of managing that. You know, for a short term, they're not designed to replace uh, somebody with medical training. You know, if there's an EMT that happens to be walking by or a nurse that's in the airport or a doctor, uh, you know, we don't trump their medical experience, training and, and their judgment. But for that person that wants to do something and is terrified because this is it, like this is the only emergency they're probably going to have to manage. Uh, there's no reason they should feel helpless. Like just open the box, turn it on and go. Right. You know, I, I agree with you there. Like I said, I, when I see this this idea here, I the first thing I envisioned was, wow, this could be something where it is going to where all the AEDs and fire extinguishers are. Because, you know, obviously the fire extinguisher isn't replacing firefighters. The AED is not replacing paramedics as, as it is now. And obviously this kit would just be something to enhance that. And it could save lives. You know, that's, that's what I first thought. I was like, wow, this, this is something I need to talk about because um, I think this could really have a, a game changer, you know, paradigm shift in, in how we do this. You know, there's a pulse point. I think it's called pulse point, that new mm -hmm. app yep. that's out. Yes. Yeah, and, and I've played with it a little bit. And I know where, where I live, my fire department's really pushing that out countywide. They really want people to do this. And, you know, it's giving people the ability to, to you know, go wherever to do CPR. And they see the value in, in that. And adding this to that, I mean, I, this could save, this could definitely save lives. I mean, there's been countless times when I was running as a paramedic where I've run on calls where, you know, people were caught, you know, very severely. And, you mm -hmm. know, they're, the people that are around them are, are have a, a, a nasty towel, <laughs> you know, yeah. holding that, holding that direct pressure. And, and uh, you go, wow, this is you know pretty gross, but you know, you take the nasty towel off that saved the life. But if you have something like this to where somebody is a, doesn't know what they're doing and has the, the right equipment. And that, that could be like, again, like a game changer, like, like and this could replace those chintzy, you know, first aid kits. And I, I was sure. joking about yeah, you open that that white box hanging on the wall, and it's first of all, it's it's rated, meaning there's nothing all that useful in it. 
you know, there's there's a two by two. There's some band aids. <laughs> there's some triple antibiotic ointment, which you know I, I, that stuff has a place. Like sometimes right. you have a paper cut and you need a band aid. And I know that's not was never. I don't think that was really part of our mission. We did put that stuff in our kit, um, mostly to make it it's ANSI compliant. You know, OSHA. Right. Right is a real thing. Like it's a thing. And there are industries, there are clients of ours that are very heavily regulated and we didn't want them to have to buy our product and the little white box that hangs on the wall in the break room. So we added that stuff in there. We don't provide instructions on it. You know, if, if you need a band aid, get a band aid. You know, that's not something that we think uh, uh, somebody's going to need, hopefully not going to need a whole lot of help managing. It could be a game changer. Um, and that's, I think that's part of the you know, as we start to to break out right now, we're starting to gain a, a, some good traction. Um, but it's hard sometimes for people to understand what it does. Like we try and explain it to you, and they're looking. It's just not like anything that's out there right now. Um, ba- you know, based on inventory or even the capabilities that it provides for an untrained rescuer. So uh, you know, I usually say seeing seeing it is believing it. Like once you open the lid and you see it open up for you know launch for the first time, it suddenly. It becomes very understandable. All right, let's take a quick break here and listen to some sponsors. These guys are the reason why we're here. And uh, please, if you can, just click on their websites or take a look at them and uh, let them know that you heard them from us. trying to reach people in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we are bringing in guests from around the world to talk about best practices and trends in emergency management and response. We also have the blog on EM Weekly's website and the EM Quarterly e-magazine. For more information, please email brian at brian at emweekly.com. Emergencies happen. Whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather-related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Are you ready for the unthinkable? Call our friends at High Speed Tac Med. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed Tac Med will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed Tac Med today, 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by.
welcome back from that quick break and thank you again for listening to the sponsors and we can't do what we're doing here without them. So let's get back into it. And you see it open up for, you know, launch for the first time. It suddenly it becomes very understandable. Yeah, I think it's really kind of cool. Um, like I said, I could see this for sure going into institutions, schools for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, obviously like places like airports, um, things where we have a massive amount of people, you know, uh, going around where you need to have uh, something like this. You know, I, I, a few years ago, um, there was a mass shooting that I, that I went to. And uh, when I went into the, when I entered the, the room, there was a, a late, well, not, he wasn't a late person, he was a trained EMT, um, but he was across the street from a construction site. He came over to help out, right? Commendable. He's a former Marine, so, you know, they, they, they tend to want to go towards the uh, the actions that are running away from it. And uh, I look at him, I go, what do you have for your first aid kit? And he showed me this little tiny white box that he had and it had really nothing in it. And he was mm-hmm. attempting to, you know, help people with just that little kit. And and I could see in his face the frustration that he had that he didn't have what he needed to treat. Yeah. And there's <clears throat> in the room there were um, uh, seven or eight, sorry, eight people that were shot in that room. Um, and, uh, um, and there was one person that, uh, in the, in the parking lot that was shot as well, but he was in the, in the, in the salon, mm-hmm. the beauty salon. And like, he could see the look on his face and he was like, I wish I had more. Yeah. And so I, when I brought in, I had the, the stuff with me. It was funny at first I was going to kick him out. I go, what's your training? He goes, I'm an EMT. I'm like, you're staying with me. Yeah. You know? you're mine. And yeah. So sit by my hip and we're going to start treating these people. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you had something like this, that could have made a difference in that guy's ability to treat those victims. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, a, and it's the, the right equipment in the right hands at the right time is, is what makes a difference. And it doesn't matter if he's a, a surgeon or just a bystander that, gets the right just in time training with the right pieces of equipment uh you know the, the ultimate outcomes are sometimes outside of our control but you know it, you know something else that was definitely on our mind as we designed this was kind of the the psychology of the rescuer too so whether whether he's an EMT or or just somebody else who's uninjured or or minorly injured that wants to help uh you know we want them to be able to walk away from that event think, knowing that there wasn't a whole lot else that I could have done. Like the, the, you know, I opened the kit. We used, you know, it told me what to do. I used a bunch of equipment. We put on a tourniquet. We put, used some quick clot. I sealed a chest. We rolled somebody into the recovery position. You know, we did all these things. I used the emergency blankets to keep them warm because that's what it said. And, you know, as I said, the, the ultimate outcome might have been, might be outside our control, but at least that rescuer is going to walk away from that saying, I, I did it. Like I did something. Like I did everything that I could have done. Because you know as well as I do, it's not the calls that go well that stick with us. It's the <laughs> ones that you walk away from going, well, what if I – or I wish I could have if I had only known. Uh, and you know, that was also part of our design process You know, was, was empowering them to do something both for the sake of the victim and for their own sake, you know, walking away from that so they can – you know feel good is probably not the right word, but I think you understand where I'm, where I'm going. You know, we want yeah, them to feel yeah. like, like I, I did everything I could. Yeah. I tell you that you're absolutely right about that. As far as the uh, psychological aspect of the rescuer, because you're right. The calls I remember are the ones that really did not yeah. go the way I wanted to go. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And like, I, I can't, I'm 
I sound like a broken record here, and you know, for the listeners, I kind of apologize, but this is how excited I am about this. I see this kit as being a paradigm shift to something that you could put on the wall next to those fire extinguishers, you know, um, and and the layperson can grab it and, and work with it because statistically, and any situation, 95% of all rescues are performed by the layperson. Yeah. And that's the CPR at the, you know, in the middle of the shopping center or, or whatever. And it's not, you know, those of us that come in lights and sirens come a little bit later and, and you know, we start doing our stuff. But 95% of all successful rescues are done, started by the layperson. Um, you know, and you think about that in, in, the, in the disaster context, right? That, that gets much bigger. So that's why we have, you know, that's why we have like the CERT programs um, and the, you know, the, you know, and the other community volunteer programs that we have, because we need to have that force multiplier. Um, and, you know, there's stories that you can talk about. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who uh, was a captain um, with the LA County Fire Department, LA City Fire Department, sorry, um, after the Northridge earthquake. And he's driving down the road and he gets flagged down by this nurse and, you know, She's like, hey, are you guys going to help me? And, and he goes, what's your training level? And she goes, I'm a nurse. He goes, great. Now you're in charge, but we got to go do this. We have to yeah. go do our drive through. You know, so for at least the first 24 hours in that case, it is the lay people that are going to be doing. Well, she's not lay, obviously, but, you know, there is the, is this, the average citizen, not the fire department, that's going to come to the rescue. And this kit here can be a force multiplier in that. You know, and we, I remember having a conversation, you know, as we're starting to get closer and closer to, uh, to a, a, a functional model of this during the design process, you know, we had a conversation about the the value like, of it in a disaster. Where imagine if you could just pull up with a trailer of them and open it up and say, like, here, like, go, like, grab one of these and go. And you know, it, it force multiplier is the act the the actual phrase that we kept using. Uh, you know, even because originally one of the ideas that uh, the the business folks that we work with, you know, they thought that the ambulance services might be a market for these. And, you know, we kind of we didn't an ambulance provider shouldn't need the instruction that's in the kit. They and they should have all the equipment that's in the kit. They should already have in their ambulance. But as we started talking about disaster response, it's like, well, what if an ambulance had a, a handful of this or, or, you know, a version of this that they could pitch to somebody in an emergency or like your scenario where you're, you're rolling into a multi-victim trauma situation and you have your gear because that's your gear and you're going to use it. But you have, you know, you could toss one to the EMT or you could toss one to the salon owner and say, here, like just open it up, follow the instructions, treat those people over there in that corner. Uh, And that, you know, that's, that has the potential to be, to be a big deal, you know, to, to change things. And, um, you know, and it's, I just read something this morning, actually, uh, there's a, um, it was an article about lockdown as a, as a, an emergency management measure in a school shooting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's people, and I've been having this conversation for about a year with schools that we've been dealing with, with mobilized products, uh, in that, you know, the assumption that lockdown is the ultimate solution to that problem is just a farce. Um, you know, it, 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 it solves a portion of the problem, but you know, the question is, well, how do you know when lockdown isn't working? You know, and I've asked teachers, this classroom teachers, well, how does your lockdown end? And oftentimes the answer is 
uh, it ends when the principal comes and unlocks the door or when the police officer shows his badge and I unlock the door. And my next question is, well, what if smoke comes underneath the door while you're on lockdown or the fire alarm goes off? And I act, and I mean, I had a teacher say, well, lockdown ends when the principal comes and unlocks the door. And, you know, they've been conditioned to think that that is the end of you. Know, that That's it. Like that's where the that's where they they stop uh, responding to that emergency. And uh, we we just did some training out in Aurora, Colorado at a private school, Regis Jesuit out there. And, you know, clearly they're sensitive, you know, especially being where they are and, and what the history is in that part of Colorado to uh, to active shooter events. And they took one of our small kits, not the big the, the biggest one. They have those in the hallways where their AADs are. Um, but they took a, the smallest kit, which is really the size of an IFAC. You know, it's just a it's a life threats only kit. And uh, they put one in every classroom. And this was their idea. This wasn't our idea because their thoughts, they're thinking 10 steps ahead where if we go on lockdown, the police aren't coming to us right away. The fire department is definitely not going to get in here right away. Like they understand the mechanics of that response to the point where they need to be self-sufficient and they need to be self-sufficient in the place where they intend people to take refuge, which is in their classrooms. So their classrooms are all equipped with uh, some basic first aid equipment and now they have an IFAC kit. And the IFAC kit comes with a little download. Every student and staff member in the school has the app on their phone. And so it doesn't matter where they are. Like they have access to life-saving medical equipment uh, to make sure to, you know, they give themselves, they're giving themselves the best chance to manage this situation for the, I mean, who knows how long it can take to get an EMT or a paramedic into that building. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, I was, I was, it was just very progressive thinking on their part, you know, they're, and they're specifically thinking about a very specific disaster, you know, in, you know, emergency management situation, but, uh, it was, uh, it was cool, you know, talking to the, to the facilities guy and some of the other staff out there, like, um, I mean, they're, they, all of their teachers are, um, uh, uh, have emergency management, uh, 100 and 200, um, from FEMA. Like any of their teachers can step outside and assume incident command, uh, and wow, look for, yeah, and look for police, fire uh, representatives, and and request unified command. Like I don't know what I would do if I went up to a school and a teacher came out and said, "Where's your incident commander? We need to set up unified command." I I don't know what I would do. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's it was a it was a cool conversation. I have to say, like they are, they're it's progressive for sure. So, okay, so real quick, so um, I have two more questions for you. One is going to be a hard one. Uh, this, this, this one's an easy one. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, um, yep. how would they get a hold of you? Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of us is right through the website. It's uh, www.mobilizerescue.com. Uh, all of the, the uh, design team members uh, have on our team page. You can access our, our email through that. There's a generic info uh, button that you can hit and send us questions. Um, and, uh, you know, if my email is is super tricky, it's Seth at MobilizeRescue.com. So, uh, and, yeah, we're uh, 
we make ourselves available. It's still, we're still a small comp, small company, a small footprint, but uh, you know, we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> you know, we're trying to be everything for everybody while we're, we're pushing this thing out there. Oh, it's awesome. Okay. Here's the hardest question of the day. All right. If you would recommend one book to Ooh. somebody who wants to get involved in this business, emergency management, emergency response, what would it be? One book. Oof. That is a really hard question. You should have prepped me for that. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't, I don't read a lot of, uh, um, I don't read a ton of uh, industry books. <laughs> Usually what I'm reading, I'm off on the side. Uh, one of the ones that I really liked was leadership lessons from West Point. Uh, and it's not so much of an emergency management thing is it's, uh, kind of a, you know, like a, a general view of, of kind of how to deal with things. Um, and there was another one that I had read a long, long time ago. Uh, you know, most of the books that are, most of the books that are out there paint a very, you know, I think about the paramedics that have written books and a lot of them are, they paint a very particular and oftentimes stereotypical view of what we do. I think that if people want to be good and have longevity in our industry, uh, a lot of it comes down to perspective. So, um, you know, uh, being able to step back and see the big picture uh, is important and communication skills, not, and not just like, not, you know, high end hierarchical communications, but just being able to interact with people from the patient level all the way up to, you know, uh, to a boss or, you know, like I think about my interactions with the fire chief and the fire department that I work for and things like that. Um, being able to understand what's appropriate, um, and being able to effectively communicate what needs to be communicated, uh, it's important. Like it, it makes a huge difference. And, you know, as a, as a paramedic instructor, I used to tell students all the time, you know, an EMS call is like a gigantic eight ball sitting on the edge of the biggest hill you've ever stood on. Right. And it wants to roll over you and crush you. And if you walk up to that eight ball and you put your hand out right before it starts moving, you can hold it there and it's never going to, you're never going to lose control of it. Like you can hold it there with one hand, but as soon as you start to make some bad decisions, and a lot of those come down to communication or work ethic types of decisions, you know, and, I, and I'll use myself as an example. The first time you roll up on a cardiac call and you realize you didn't check the batteries in your monitor and they're dead, <laughs> the eight ball starts rolling. Right. And we've all run that call. You've all been on that job at some point. You're never going to catch it. It's going to run you over, and you're going to get to the hospital because. You're eventually going to get to the hospital, but it's going to be a ragged mess. Like yeah. it will be obvious that you have chased the eight ball down the hill the entire call. And uh, oh, not all the time, but oftentimes those kind of hot messes can be avoided by good communication with you and your partner, good communication with outside agencies that are arriving on scene and good communication with your patient. Um, and, uh, the rest of it kind of falls into place, I think, when you're able to collect the right information and pass it on to the right people. You know, a little bit of, of you know, mastery of your your skills, but I think a lot of that 
is easy when you're relaxed and uh, you have general control over the rest of what's going on. So I don't think I really answered your question about books, uh, the book in specifically, but I think a lot of the things that impacted me the most, you know, as I was, you know, kind of learning how to do this were uh, books that expanded my ability to connect with more and more people. Uh, so, you know, everything from Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance to, uh, <laughs> you know, like kind of whatever you can, can read to, or, uh, to have that little ounce of connection. Um, that's important. So I guess it's kind of a, it's a, it's a broad base that you're looking for, not something specific. That's an awesome uh, answer to that question. You know, it's, that's kind of what we're trying to get out of this. Like when I ask that question is what can you do to better yourself and, 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 uh, I think that answered that question well. All right, Seth, well, I'm going to let you go. And thank you so All much right. for, for being here and uh, looking forward to hearing for more from you. Excellent. I uh, look forward to uh, hopefully being on again. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.